Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. How's that for an intro? Welcome, welcome, folks. Good morning, good morning. It's V, the Girl Economist, coming to you live on this edition of Rogue News in the Morning. We have with us the man of the hour who needs no introduction at this point. If you don't know who he is, you've been living under a rock. It's the one and only Velas, the analyst extraordinaire who's going to break down the geopolitical, geostrategic, geoeconomic, all things going on, internal, external, you name it. Velas covers it, and we've got a lot to cover and also, with that being said, check out our paid sponsor, MyCBDEdibles.com. MyCBDEdibles.com. Whether you want a delicious cup of delectable coffee or you want to get some doggy treats for your pooch, it is the best way to get your CBD. 99.997% pure CBD isolate, which also happens to be the survival percentage for those who are affected with the Rona. So CBDEdibles.com. MyCBDEdibles.com. And we have our producer, CJ, working the airwaves. With the flux capacitors, the dilithium crystals, making sure that these airwaves are coming out crispy and clean. You know what I mean? He even He's even doing a rain dance to keep the rain away from raining electronic rain on our parade, making sure that none of the deep state is working their nefarious activities on this broadcast. And with that being said, fellas, CJ, what's going on, gentlemen? Good morning, guys. How are y'all doing? I'm doing good, man. I can't complain. You know, it's Friday. It's Friday. It's Friday. It's a, it's a wonderful day. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And uh, so far, so good, man. So far, so good. I'm caffeinated. I'm, I, I'm, you name it. You know, I had two cups of dark roast. I'm ready to rock and roll, brother. CJ, how's life in your universe? I'm doing great, man. Uh, the the yeah, V's right. The weather right now is just it's beautiful outside. It's about sixty degrees, sunny uh caffeinated uh you know did a couple miles on the elliptical today hit the abs i'm fired up and ready to go all righty so shall we jump into it let's do it bro okay so for a lot of you on uh today's show welcome back uh some of you have returned from uh our hiatus when the rogue news uh the main site uh was was down uh we we got in trouble (laughs) um yes We've got the Rogue Media site on YouTube. Uh, that one has a lot of the content that some of you may may have missed previously. But if in doubt, on all occasions, always go to the Rogue uh, News website. Uh, CJ's got a lot of the prior content that we were covering uh, previously. For those of you that didn't know, we were on the other channel. Um, so please definitely make sure we don't we don't want to lose you again. That's for sure. 
Definitely. <laughs> One of the guys said, "Hey V, sell me your Hulk." I, I'm actually wearing the Hulk right now. <laughs> I got a sweat. I got a hoodie on. My hat's on backwards, and I have a Rolex Hulk on my wrist. <laughs> That's funny. So, for those of you who are uh, returning after a hiatus, uh, one of the things I do, um, on the front end here is, is I, I do some shout outs. So, uh, definitely a shout out to Frank at quite frankly, uh, I had a brief chat with him last Wednesday on his program and, uh, was commending him for the job, uh, he's doing over there and he equally sent kudos back our way. Um, we've got to get Frank on one of these days. We do. I did reach out to him to see if he'll, he'll join us. Um, shout out to the outfit in Guam. Uh, to all the first responders in the state of Illinois, uh, to the guy in Bolivia doing that thing, uh, farmers in the Western U.S. given this year's prospects, and to the harp players in Alaska, uh, you're welcome. Thanks for listening to our program. And to the folks in Dolce, New Mexico, I saw the ATI magazine, which that's for all that's interesting magazine. Uh, they did a very dated article on you folks uh, this week. I'm sure you love how far off the mark they are about what you're actually doing down there. So uh, before I move into some of our, our news and commentary stuff, um, uh, H.L. Mencken, uh, oh, famous boy. commentator and really interesting guy. He can be a bit cranky about life and relationships and government. Um, you know, his work goes, goes back into the, into the 1900s and stuff, but he, he has some very interesting takes on a lot of things. I came across a couple of his quotes and wanted to, to cover those. Um, one of the quotes attributed to him was the whole aim of practical politics is to keep the populace alarmed and clamorous to be led to safety by menacing it with an endless series of hobgoblins, all of them imaginary. Um, another one was most people want security in the world, not liberty. I know V you've, you've mentioned that one a couple of times. Yep. Um, the urge to save humanity is almost always a false front for the urge to rule. Exactly. Uh, Greta Thornburg, I'm looking in your direction, and I have something about you in a moment. Uh, on some great and glorious day, the plain folks of the land will reach their heart's desire at last, and the White House will be adorned by a downright moron. That's an yeah. actual quote. And then from Aesop, we have, we hang the petty thieves and appoint the great ones to public office, which is certainly the case with the Delaware crime family currently oh, operating God. in yeah. the nation's yeah. capital. Um, so Vladimir Putin, uh, there's a whole bunch of clips about him that I always find amusing. There's a couple of people who have clips on just like the Putin walk. Um, love that walk, the walk of a the, gunslinger. Well, and the main thing about Putin that I've noticed is, is that when he's going to televise a meeting with his ministers, <laughs> you better make sure your insurance is paid. He's, he's never not in control. But man, when he calls people out, I saw one where he was uh, talking to the program managers for the Sochi Olympics and about cost overruns where the, the project had gone from 1.8 billion rubles to eight. And there's okay. just th there's just a moment where he looks at these ministers when they confirm, well, yes, yes, it's gone up to eight billion and we didn't tell you. And he just kind of goes, well, we're done here. <laughs> and he walks off. So with that, um, he treats Greta Thornburg the same way. So, CJ, if you'd be kind enough to to roll the clip. Yeah, rolling the clip. And just uh, uh, for YouTube and BBC, this is Kevin under fair use, as we're going to provide commentary regarding this video. 
Но я не разделяю общих восторгов по поводу выступления Греты Тумбер. Вы знаете, то, что молодые люди, подростки, обращают внимание на острые проблемы сегодняшнего дня, в том числе на проблемы экологии, это правильно и это очень хорошо. И их, безусловно, нужно поддержать. Но когда детей и подростков кто-то использует в своих интересах, это достойно только осуждения. Никто, говорите, не объяснил, что современный мир сложен, многообразен, быстро развивается. И люди в Африке, либо во многих азиатских странах, хотят жить на таком же уровне достатка, как и в Швеции. А как это сделать? Энергию солнца, которой в Африке достаточно. Кто-нибудь объяснил, что это стоит? Но на сегодняшний день это доступная технология для развивающихся экономик и развивающихся стран. Малодоступная. Но люди хотят там жить так же, как в Швеции, и их не остановить. Right. Пойдите, объясните им, что они должны еще прозябать в нищете лет 20-30, и их дети будут в нищете. Yeah. И объясните им. В целом, конечно, мы не можем не поддержать тех идей, которые связаны с развитием, развитием возобновляемых источников энергии. Надо только исходить из реалий. Meanwhile, in the land of adults. There you go. It was beautiful. Well, and, and it's the kind of thing that is stunning in the lack of thinking in uh, the world's media and in other, other venues about the lunacy of some of these, these puppets that are put on TV, whether it's Greta or others. And it has to be a guy like Putin that, that uh, breathes in some sanity. Uh, in, into these topics in a way that only only he can. Because if you may recall that conference, everybody was very, uh, oh, yes, you know, she's definitely, you know, it's like Putin's just sitting there rubbing his head going, uh, no. Um, so, yeah, he's uh, he's an interesting cat, but when you look at, at how much of a country he's got to run, um, I mean, there's obviously some things he's done that, that probably weren't ideal. But the other end of it is, is it's like trying to, trying to hold together uh, – the goat rodeo of all those different ethnic groups, religions, regions, you know, it's, I think it's something like six or eight time zones. Uh, it's a lot of real estate for him to manage. So 12, I was, 12 time I'm, zones. yeah, I'm always amused when he's, he's at these conferences because he seems to be the only person who says, yeah, that all sounds great. How are you going to pay for it? Yeah. Um, keep an eye on France, everybody. Some of you have may have picked up on this, that a group of generals, the mayor of uh, Paris has a yeah. team with the generals and the colonels and the law enforcement. Uh, they are quite varied. Why don't you break that down for us? Velez? Yeah. The, um, French president Macron, um, has cracked down on, I forget what the total number of generals were, but it was a number of senior military officers said that things in the country have gotten out of control. Uh, with violence and other things and uh, due to unrestricted uh, immigration. And the French mayor of Paris, now this is an important qualification, she operates a major department in the city, but they call they call the mayors or like sub-mayors. So she's not like the mayor of, of Paris, but still is a very senior role. And she said she supports the generals. Now, why does any of this matter for others of us in other countries? Um France was never able to successfully integrate into French society. The uh, immigrants from Africa and now the most recent Syrian immigrants, the way they did other groups. 
And this was very disheartening for the French because in their kind of national view, they couldn't understand why others would not want to become part of their culture and history rather than these communities just kind of staying to where they live and coming into various cities to work and so on, but never really becoming part of French society. And it caused a lot of soul searching in France because France was like, well, of course our model works. How could it not work? Uh, then the big one is back in the 1960s, uh, a group of French military officers, um, they attempted to kill President de Gaulle, de Gaulle. And hence the Foreign Legion was never allowed to stay in France and they had to practice and station themselves outside. We, oui? This is correct. And it took the French government years to clean up those militants within their own ranks. Now, a little bit of, of clarity. What had happened specifically, there were other conditions in France in the 1950s and early 1960s that led to this. But the, the takeaway is, is that um, the French military, and in particular the, the French Foreign Legion, was upset about France removing itself from uh, Algeria after many years in that colony. Because much like um, Siam, before it became South Vietnam, you had a lot of ethnic French living there. And there was a famous incident where the French government ordered the Foreign Legion to leave Algiers, the capital of the country, and they refused the order. And so the French military had to go down. This was in the, in the late 50s. They had to go down to Algeria and work with the Foreign Legion until they finally left. And when the French Foreign Legion left Algiers and marched out of the city, they sang a very French song called I Regret Nothing. And so it really caused a major cleavage in French society. So, so many, many decades later, to have the French military saying, we're going to have to get involved. This isn't Brazil and this isn't Honduras. When something like this happens in France, number one, there's a precedent. Number two, the precedent was horrific. And it really gets the country's attention. Now, Macron has dismissed all of these military officers, but he knows darn well that um, he's, he's got a major problem because there's, there's other people in the French military, most, most probably their national police force. Um, who uh, side with this. Next topic is uh, not to get all bandwagony, uh, but there's a lot of nonsense to me in the news about taxing the rich and corporations, uh, you know, those two ambiguous boogeymen, uh, because how does one define rich in an already wealthy country and which corporations? And your takeaways on this are I have, I have worked for Fortune 50 companies and I've worked C-level executives from those types of corporations. And I've also worked with, with the establishment of uh, family office firms for high net worth individuals. So trust me on this. No one is taxing either of those groups because their wealth is based on assets, not income. And in the United States, we don't, we do, but we don't, we don't tax your assets the way we tax, tax your income. So if you're deriving wealth from investments rather than income, these, these folks won't be touched. And besides, most of the Fortune 50, if you look at the data that's out there, they've not really paid taxes in years. They just keep recirculating money offshore, uh, and that's how they how they avoid it. But then the darker aspect of this is now, again, on the back page of the news, is we now have sudden funding increases for the FBI, uh, the ATF, and the Treasury, a.k.a. the IRS. So it's going to be the, the middle class is already under pressure. Who uh, they're 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 going to put them in a vice. Absolutely. It's incredible. Absolutely. I mean, between the proposed capital gains tax, which you know, most middle class people they have their, their wealth tied up in their homes or whatnot, or a 401k or you know, or you know, an IRA or whatever. 
capital gains, you add that with, you know, certain states, you look at like California, you look at New York, you're getting, you're going to be taxed close to 60%. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. When you count it all, the federal, the state and local, my God, absolutely. New York City. It's, an, it's, 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 it's devastating. It is. And it goes to the other narrative we've been covering here on Rogue, which is um, the balkanization uh, in the United States that is not just coming. It's we're watching it live on TV yeah. uh, as people who, uh, again, as I said on another show, any people who have the means are moving to red states. I know um, there was uh, uh, a comment with Gus's show the other day where, where the two of you were talking about the fact that this, this, or perhaps it was you, CJ, um, this, this isn't an erudite discussion anymore. It's like, you have to leave. Uh, it's like my relatives back in Eastern Europe uh, when, you know, they murdered the royal family. It's like, and now we're leaving the country. <laughs> we've we've got to go. There's yeah. there's no hoping this is going to work itself out. So um, it's kind of the same thing here. I mean, they're they're putting the pieces in place to make sure that that uh, if if anybody has assets and they can find a way to tax it, they're they're going to do it. Um, my other favorite topic I've been mentioning for weeks. Uh, we have no answers on Nashville's thermobaric explosion from last December, nor the OVH cloud fire from last March. That OVH cloud was the French um, cloud services and internet provider, very, very large firm. Um, in the news recently, and my thanks to the folks on Discord, because I uh, got this from one of our listeners, uh, on a website called The Register. It's a, it's an IT um website or, or, or magazine, uh, its little motto is biting the hand that feeds it. Mm-hmm. Um, go check out what I posted on my Vela's page on Discord on 427. Um, OVH Cloud is still rebuilding uh, their main facility that, that burned. Uh, I actually was able to see the photos. Holy God, uh, was that facility uh, gutted. And their top mm-hmm. execs have said, they're, they're, it's an incredibly painful process, but they're slowly getting the systems back. Who was the OVH contracted with? Their clients included uh, the French government heavily, but also, you know, the usuals, uh, private mm. equity, a lot of the large, large banks. They are one of the largest cloud providers in Europe, not just in okay. France. So what's going to happen is this. You're going to have all of a sudden uh, AWS is going to step in and be like, hey, uh, we can go right. ahead and let's see. Or, or Microsoft has I mean, what better way for exceptional stand to get its claws into the European data stream? What better way? I mean, you, the, your, your Europeans have done a lot in terms of throwing up various different firewalls and, and bottlenecks when they learned about prison. When Merkel learned about, holy crap, the NSA is tapping my phone calls. What the hell's going on here? And uh, the French learned the same thing with, uh, at that time, Sarkozy, and then later on with Macron. They're like, wait a minute, you guys are tapping all of us. You're tapping allies as well as enemies. Right. And so the Europeans have right. kind of hardened their telecom a little bit. And now what better way? Oh, my God, OVH gets into a fire. Wow. Kind of, it reminds me of when the DTCC conveniently had a flood followed by a fire. Oh, well, we can't <laughs> find the record. Because if we didn't get you with the flood, we're going to get you with the fire. Exactly. It's the same thing. And now AWS, Amazon, a.k.a. the CIA, the cocaine import agency, they step in and they said, hello, Frenchman, your OVH is uh, gone bye-bye. We will give you the, the alternative. I'm feeling very Frenchy this morning. The Frenchy it Friday. Is. It is. Have, we should all have a croissant. Oh, um, my God. I could use one. Well, and the other, the other thing, folks, as I've mentioned on other shows, is you have to remember that whenever one of these large 
data centers. I did a whole show kind of on the, the data center topic and the, the implications currently. Um, when you got to rebuild or you have an outage, and again, you know, I've worked in those industries, I've consulted with those industries, the high-speed communications gear that's used and the data centers themselves, which have raised floor environments where the, the air is air-conditioned and filtered underneath the equipment and over top of the equipment, um, that gear is expensive. I mean, I, I mentioned on a prior show that I, I had a client where we had a major piece of gear that was like $40,000, and it was the single point of failure in the whole global network. And we kept saying, we need a spare. And the board was like, no, we're not, we're not spending 40 grand to put a, to put a Camaro on a shelf that we're never going to use. And 48 hours later, uh, darn if, if that piece of equipment didn't fail. And it took eight months to get Cisco to build us one. So when you lose a whole data center like this, the other, the other aspect of, and, and we're going to talk a little bit later about the whole supply chain thing. The challenge for OVH Cloud is, is it isn't just a, like, okay, we had some damage in our building here, our office space or what have you. We need some carpet and some chairs. Um, that gear takes a long time to build. Some of this stuff is, is very expensive. Uh, in some cases, it's customized. Uh, the same thing with backup systems and similar. It's no different than uh, the topic we covered previously about how long does it take to build a power generator in this country? I mean, it, it, it's not something you can rush through. So no matter how fast they're trying to rebuild, a lot of the gear they need, no matter whether they're buying it from Siemens or Cisco or whoever it might be, it's going to take a long time. And that's going to create a window of opportunity, as V just pointed out. Now, the uh, supply chain picture. And oh, dear God, uh, has that topic been on fire like you can't believe in about every form of, and like whether I'm looking at IT, uh, information technology, industry magazines, if I'm looking at continuity planning, uh, IT security, the list goes on. Uh, and even the mainstream, you know, CNBC and Bloomberg, uh, they've just been on fuego. And we've certainly been covering the supply chain topic extensively here on on Rogue. So this week, um, Zero Hedge um, <laughs> uh, didn't filter themselves at all. They published an article entitled, It's About to Get Worse, Supply Chains Implode as Price Doesn't Even Matter Anymore. Yep. And the net of that and this whole topic is, is we're having rising volumes of traffic between North America and Asia, but we don't have the capacity to move it. So the article, one of the little jingles in the article was, is, quote, we're facing a tsunami of freight. Now, I had mentioned quite a while back that even before the election, there were all these slowdowns, like rail carriers on the West Coast of the United States were not moving cargo uh, off the West Coast for reasons nobody seemed to be able to identify. And then... Around that same time and into early of 2021, we had a lack of uh, storage containers uh, for cargo ships. And then suddenly a whole bunch of storage containers became available at much higher prices. What are the odds? Um, so one of the things that is contributing to um, not just the challenge in, in delivery, but what's driving the need is, uh, and I didn't know this until I was reviewing some material this week, um, Firms are trying to warehouse and restock at a considerable level just in case there's another disruption. So this it's kind of, I may mean, hate to use this analogy. That, that creates kind of more like, of a supply crunch. Yeah, it's it's like you go to your local grocery store and they got a sign up saying only one package of toilet paper per person. It's like, do you really need to buy five packs of the stuff? Well, maybe not, but everybody is scared and panicking, so they're trying to buy as much toilet paper as they can get. So a lot of these articles are indicating that the month of May, 
<laughs> which is tomorrow, <laughs> will be a high point. So uh, hang on, folks. And and it, the article also mentioned that in some cases, certain um, customers are saying, look, I'll pay you three, four times the going rate on a container. And it's like, it, it doesn't matter. I still can't move move your cargo. And as I've often pointed out, those higher prices have to be paid by somebody. And governments and corporations sure heck are not paying that bill. So it's it's going to be you. Oh, goody. A related supply chain event is, and again, my thanks to all of you on the uh, Discord page, because somebody sent this one my way, uh, the World Economic Forum, or the WEF, uh, as it's known, this July is holding their uh, cyber event called Cyber Polygon 2021, which uh, they had a, a similar cyber event in 2020. Oh, wonderful. Now, what's, the, the, what's the interesting is... For the next one, huh? Well, <laughs> guess what the topic is for this simulation? Hacking the banking system to uh, bring the economy down. Let me guess, is that it? No, that was last year. Uh, oh. This year's this year's is supply chain cyber pandemic. Those are their words, not mine. Uh, how you could potentially bring down the entire global uh, internet or severely reduce its ability to operate. How timely of them, um, you know? Because the last time we had a major think tank event was was Bill Gates talking about. I wonder what would happen <laughs> if we had a pandemic. I hate um, that. So, uh, again, uh, related to supply chain is the other topic we've covered a lot, which is uh, inflation. And uh, as both V and myself and others have mentioned recently about the whole, you know, lumber price increase, among other things, uh, it's more than 150 percent since since 2020. That's in one year. Um, We have fuel prices who are increasing. Now, again, that's delivered goods, whether by truck, rail or plane, regardless of if that's diesel or that's gasoline. Um, there's quite a bit of coverage, especially for the folks in the, in the prepper community and in the, the, um, I don't even know what you would call them, but folks who grow their own food at home and, and so on little, little micro farms and things. Um, food prices are expected to jack this summer and that's globally, um, nice. there's quite a bit of content and different, different venues on that topic. So this also includes, uh, Bloomberg, uh, their future, uh, futures prices, on stocks uh, with a component for um, uh, that have a food component to those investments, they're indicating for the rest of this year uh, that you should have already invested in those because it's it's going to be going up. Um, this kind of goes to my my comments last January about about you know we're, I, I personally am not here to offer uh, investment advice. However, um, you know we had mentioned as far back as then about. Uh, looking in whatever your investments are, looking into the agricultural space. Um, so the powers that be need to make uh, need to create situations where we have quick inflation, and we've talked a lot about that. They need the inflation because so much debt has now been run up. They got to water down uh, the debt. So we have food. We're going to see prices increase. Um, the other thing is is that uh, Dunn and Bradstreet. Uh, have been pointing out that in developing economies, the food or what in uh, oh what do you call it in academic circles is is the topic or the term used about food safety or or um, calorie safety in a lot of countries around the world. It's not just a function of oh gee the price of my food has gone up. It's it's a function of it's not available or I can't afford it. So the net is is that this week, Dunn and Bradstreet was saying that we have a recipe for social unrest in a number of third world countries right now. Um, so obviously, yet another item to to monitor. We have the fuel topic, uh, the ocean shipping cargo topic, which we covered. 
Um, we have building material increases. We have the shortages in adhesives and microprocessors, which, of course, the, the news now is littered with stories about the microprocessor shortages. So this, again, is what leads us into Gates and other billionaires buying up large tracts of land because that's always a great hedge against inflation along with, with precious metals. So, you know, lastly, uh, <laughs> to be somewhat snarky, uh, should we find ourselves throwing in a, a, a good, small, or medium-sized war somewhere, um, well, that'll just blow the doors off this thing. So we'll have to keep an eye on uh, Iran and China in case somebody tries to tries to pull that one off. Um, this week, uh, photos were released from 1993 of Bill, Ga uh, Bill Clinton meeting with Jeff Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell at the White House. I, I was not there, Valens. I, I don't know exactly what that photo was. I told Hillary, I said, Hillary, I was in my oral, I mean, Oval Office. I was there. Um, I have no idea. Uh, and that blue dress, I don't know what possessed Jeff to paint that picture of me with the blue dress on. I have no idea why he did such a thing. I've been airbrushed in. So, uh, as usual in Washington, D.C., nothing to see here, folks. Move along. Uh, that meeting and the, and the associated photos alone uh, discounts nearly every prior statement about uh, Bill and his location and his proximity to Mr. Epstein. Thanks to a Freedom of Information Act request, we now have internal documents from the FBI that clearly shows they were investigating a group who was looking to pay someone to kill Seth Rich. <laughs> uh, so if that's true, that would beg a, a bazillion questions, including is this just a head fake to try and throw people off from the rumors about the role of U.S. intelligence and what happened to Seth Rich? Um, India is in the news again. Uh, obviously, a lot of coverage about the oh, horrific God. impact that COVID is having. It's so terrible. They had uh, 204,000 people who have died in a country of 1.4 billion. That is a death rate of 0.00017%. Well, and it, as we've said on the show a number of times, this doesn't discount the human cost and the human tragedy of the lives no, lost, whether that's there or here or anywhere else. But but then again, given given the the immense population of India, it's no different than here in the United States with the media saying, "My God, we've crossed the five hundred thousand mark of lives lost." And as I stated on another show, there's two problems with that. One is is that a group of academics already ran a piece of software in the United States, at least, that cross-checked death certificates with those that had been identified by the CDC and others as "quote unquote" casualties of COVID and found that 15% of those listed as fatalities had no mention of, of COVID on their death certificates. Bingo. So even the CDC admitted their numbers were off. And then to, to V's point, 500 to 530,000 people, and of course this is the old joke about one death is a tragedy and a million is a statistic, but 530,000 deaths in the United States um, in a country of, of, depending on whose numbers we're using, and are you or are you not including those in this country not necessarily legally, but they certainly don't have the legal right to be in the United States at the time. So between 330 to 350 million people in this country, it's it's 0.01%. Again, doesn't discount the massive loss of life. But if we're, we're talking about the impact, and if we look at what happened with, with uh, prior years with flu, which evidently we're not even monitoring, uh, or tuberculosis or other other illnesses. The point I wanted to make about India was this, and my thanks again to Dixie. Uh, because he he sent me some knowledge and I was reading through that. And I'd seen this topic earlier this year and it kind of went by the wayside. Well, we've again, I'm not saying it's a head fake, but boy, it sure feels like one. Um, 
There's a lot of coverage in our media about the human tragedy, and it is, in India right now of lives lost due to, to COVID or variants or, or what have yeah, you. They also have an election going on over there in like five states. Uh, Abhishek was uh, mentioning that in the live, live chat. Ah, good point. Yeah. Well, the, the, the topic at hand is farming. There have been significant protests in India since late last year and earlier this year, and I may, I may have those dates slightly off, that farmers in India were very concerned about what's, what's going on in their country. And again, we're back into this topic of food security. Mm. So while our attention is drawn by, my God, look at these horrible images of people dying, and it is horrible images and people are dying. But on the back end is, but is India going to be able to eat? There's, yep. there's great concern in India from a couple of sources that a lot of activity around the lockdowns as well as government policies in prior years is endangering food security in India. And, uh, you know, the, the law enforcement and so on has been called out to break up these protests and so on. So it'll be, it'll be an interesting area that we got to keep, keep an eye on because the last thing we need is an unstable India sitting on China's, uh, China's border. Last week's show, and I, I'm not going to go into that kind of. And they would, they would want that. They would want uh, anything that can that can cause some sort of a wrench being thrown into the Eurasian integration. They do it, and if it means uh, India collapsing, or or if it means India running into food security issues or a famine, I mean, there are many parts of India that are completely arrogable. Uh, you could have, you know, I mean, my God, I mean, there there are regions where I have family from. They have 43 different varieties of rice, for the love of God. You know, it's it, it's so, and then, of course, there's other areas which are dry and arid. They're, it's not arrogable land, and you got problems. But if any sort of instability happens there, and, and, and you can't help but look at this and see a grander play. And, th- again, folks, you got to remind yourself, this is a Commonwealth country. So if you notice, there's a lot of interesting little tidbits and things happening in all these quote-unquote commonwealth countries all of a sudden. Go ahead, Mel. Yes, and you also uh, you also raised a, a, an important topic, uh, which we again covered on a, on a prior show, which is this, this issue of, of diversity in food sources. Now, now, what I mentioned on a prior show was what happened in the United States when it came to uh, the very unsexy topic of potatoes. We had a blight that spread across the United States in the 1970s and destroyed most of our potato uh, crop. And we had to import uh, a ton of, of potatoes from Mexico. Now, Mexico has been raising concerns for quite some time about large agricultural firms trying to force Mexico to, to narrow it down to just one or two species of potato. And it's one of the things I appreciate about Mexico is, is that you know, like the Midwest of the United States, they are people who understand, they may be living in cities, but they understand farming. And they understand that one of the worst things that has happened in human history is if for the sake of efficiency. Yeah, you can't do monocropping. Yeah, exactly. You can't do monocropping. It goes goes to your point about rice. It goes to other foods. And one of the, the peoples on this planet who totally understand that are the people of India. They, of all people, understand the importance of if one of our food sources goes bad for whatever reason, we have to have the diversity and we have to have the supply. And both of those are, dare I say, at risk. Now, the other aspect of India is is that on the 25th of this month, um, Zero Hedge and a couple other sources had articles talking about what I covered last week, which is Twitter, say it with me, Twitter is cracking down 
on anyone in India trying to release information about these types of topics, whether it's food diversity, whether it's food security, whether it's the farming issue, whether it's questions asked about the vaccines, whatever it might be. Twitter has been doing the same thing inside India that they were doing for Saudi Arabia that we discussed last week. Yep. And it's not just limited to India. Uh, there's a site called Technocracy News. Mm. Um, it's, it's global. Uh, Twitter is literally globally shutting down any discussion about the shot in any way, shape, or form. Yep. So, you know, the normal sort of way I go with these things is, is, is we have to ask the question, who's paying Twitter to do that? I doubt it's just Jack Dorsey on his own. Could be, uh, which is almost as important as the why. Yeah, I, th- I think Twitter is a front. I think Twitter, Facebook, these are all front corporations. Your guys like uh, Zuckerberg and uh, Dorsey, these guys are just front men. They're, they're they're paid billions, but who cares? You know, they 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 do their job. They're a face of a company. They hold these stupid little get-togethers and whatnot, but they're nobodies in the grand scheme of things. It it, it is a definite. There's no doubt in my head. It's a definite intelligence operation. There's no doubt about it with, with these two companies. Well, and in the final analysis, folks, unless you have an absolute reason for doing so, whether it's it's um, Twitter or some of the other uh, social media sites, you've you've got to get off those. There's just no two ways about it. I mean, if you're using certain business forums or similar for networking or what have you, that that I get, even though those are also owned by some of the bigger players of Silicon Valley. But any any of the social media sites, any of the sites that allow your phone to cross track against other people you're around when you post a particular uh, comment or what have you, it's just not in your best interest. Uh, get get off there if, if you can find a way to do it. Um, I'm also monitoring, and I've reached out to some people I used to work with back in D.C., this release of these Internet addresses uh, by the Department of Defense over the weekend. Um, this that one's so fresh. I don't even want to get into it, other than to say I'm keeping an eye on it. Um, it's weird. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see where that takes us. Hmm. Um, also, want to make a, make a comment. And V and CJ, if I misspeak on the following, because I'm I'm going to comment about the exceptional stand topic. And so if I if I misrepresent you, by all means, step in. But I, I also wanted to to relay to all of you in our audience that um, at least for me. I, I want to avoid any confusion or misunderstanding, uh, all of you in our lovely audience. Um, to me, V is not speaking of destroying America as a country or the idea Bingo. of America. I know that he and CJ and other guests have made comments about the crap show we find ourselves in. What we're talking about is removing and stopping, call them what you will, these cabals, the globalists, certain keyword, certain billionaires out there yep. whose overwhelming power and influence is direct in the United States because this is not an isolated issue. Uh, Matthew Arrett, again, I tip my hat in his general direction. He's, he's more of the expert on this topic than I am. There are groups like this who've been doing this for at least easily 150 or more years. So whether it is the current oligarchs in modern day Russia, the banking community in Switzerland, the disproportionate voting power of farmers in uh, Japan mining firms in South America or De Beers in South Africa, the list goes on. All of those groups have disproportionate power or influence in those countries. And the United States is, is one of the last remaining superpowers, depending how you want to define that. And so the desire to control this, this country and what it does is overwhelming. So, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't throw 
every person on this planet I know who is a practicing Catholic under under the bus because of decisions made by the Catholic Church or certain yep. priests. I wouldn't throw people who've worked for certain major corporations that I know and have done horrible things under the bus because of the decisions of their board of directors. So when we're talking about exceptional stand, we're we're pointing out that the people who are pulling the strings are the ones who are placing us at risk. Yep. And depending on how far you want to go with that topic, it's it's uh, you know, as I've often said, if you if you go to Mike Moore over at True Pundit, uh, he would he would tell you it's just a a, a battling group of grifters, each each trying to get their uh, their money out of it. And speaking yeah. of that topic, in a stunning development this week, Marco Rubio of all people uh, has introduced a bipartisan bill whose labeled purpose is to protect the public from violent neighbors or family members. Uh, if you dig deeper, it's a red oh, flag wow. law to enable anyone uh, who legally owns a firearm to be reviewed if turned in by their neighbors or, or a family member because you're concerned they may they may hurt themselves. Now, again, in my classic universe of the head fake, the bill sets aside money for both public governments and, of all people, Indian tribes. Now, why, especially when it comes to Indian tribes or Indian nations inside the United States? We'll call them the First Nations and indigenous in the new normal that we're living in, Zellas. Right, which is, which is why we shove them onto land nobody wants. Um, this is a payoff to support legislation. And one of the things that I was kind of pondering as I was reading through this is, is that uh, this doesn't, this isn't just about this particular bill. You know, we're going to get certain uh, local and state and uh, Indian nation governments uh, to support this legislation because we're offering them money. If we look at our current situation where so many U.S. states and metropolitan areas are now starved for tax revenue, thanks to the response to COVID, and especially the Indian nations. I've been out in the Indian nations out in uh, Arizona in particular, and it's a rough, rough situation out there. So their ability to turn down money is like zero. So what else could they do to blackmail state and local governments to accept promises of funding? And that's, that's just something else we got to, because, because now you have a, you have a captive population. You know, I'll let you open your businesses as long as you agree to this. And then, of course, on the uh, the population topic, and I know Matthew Arad has covered this from the from the intellectual side of things. Uh, and a reminder: this, you know, it's about what the globalists believe, um, not necessarily what we believe. And I'm not saying <laughs> disclaimer, kind of like our video clip. I'm not saying our current events are factually an attempt to impact global population. I'm simply saying that we have a lot of possible correlations here. And there are large numbers of academic and intellectual elites on the subject. And Matthew is excellent at covering who those folks are and who are the latest advocates of those theories, whether it's eugenics or others. Um, Equally, if you have a chance, go check out uh, Matthew's program that he's got on YouTube uh, Canadian Patriot Press from April 2nd, and it's called Our Interesting Times Interview on the British Deep State. And he covers uh, a lot of the arguments of intellectual elite over the, the past century and the whys and hows, et cetera. Um, equally, as I said on a, on a prior show, there was a conference I attended in Colorado Springs many years ago where the panel was discussing, there are a couple hundred, hundred of us in this room, the panel was discussing various forms of conflict, whether it's land, water, um, um, anger and frustration over borders that shifted over the years and certain people want want that land back or whatever it might be. 
And halfway through the, the thing I was attending, the moderator in the panel basically just said, well, let's boil it all down. All of these things are corollary events. Um, the root cause of the problem is the world's population. We, we have to get the world's population down. <laughs> As I sat there in the audience typing up my notes. Um, and oh, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, that, that makes total sense to me. Right. Well, and certain parties were jokingly during that conference making statements to the effect of, um, well, as we know, the problem with war is, is that you destroy too much of the infrastructure you want. And the problem with, with viral agents is, is if they mutate in the wild, you know, we are inoculations These against people it. people are war. sick, man. So where I'm going with all of this is, is that we have a lot of events right now. And I, I truly hope to God uh, that these aren't going in the direction that, that certain very alarmed parties are saying it might. Um, but the former Pfizer executive uh, made a statement this week, and his, his comments have been out there. Um, he, was, uh, he was a vice president. His name was Yaden. Um, and he, he made this article got released where he said, I couldn't think of a better plan for depopulation than the pandemic and the vaccines. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the um, the vaccines themselves would be hypothetically the way in which one does this. But if we look at the the social pain and the social trauma around the world and the, the dare I use the word, hopelessness that certain people feel, again, it's one of the reasons why on my program here on Rose, I've, I've said it many, many times. If you're down, if you're bummed out, if you're, if you're just frustrated with all of it, reach out to a friend, uh, reach out to a family member. Or if you've got concerns that people you know are, are uh, depressed or, or unsure of themselves, I've, I've, I've done this for years. I've got a number of people who have been reaching out to me about their, their job prospects and their, their career challenges because so many companies are either conducting layoffs or offshoring or what have you. So the net of all of this is, 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 again, as I've often said, we here at Rogue and all the different folks on Rogue, we're, we're all trying to unpack this data and come up with, okay, it's a possibility, but is it really a reality? But at the, at the ground level, it comes back to whether it's, you know, Gus Demos and what he does with his investments and V and, and the services he offers, um, as well as taking care of your families and CJ's frequent commentary, which I agree with completely about working at the local level. Uh, no matter how small, you know, yeah. you don't need to be meeting with your governor to make great change. Um, you know, we've often said it on this show that that you need to find out who your sheriff is. Uh, is that sheriff embattled? Do they need help? Are they worth protecting because they're a strong advocate of your of your rights and the Second Amendment? Um, other groups out there, whether it's Veritas or others, and, and I'll be the first to say, I was involved for years with Amnesty International back in the early 1990s. I was part of letter writing campaigns. Uh, to stop women being stoned in the Middle East uh, for either adultery or, or for being accused of being gay. Um, I was involved in human rights campaigns for years through a number of organizations, but the last five or six years, uh, the data is simply too strong of what amnesty really is and who's really running it, and I've severed my connection with that group. So Veras Toss today, I, I believe in what they're doing. I have no reason not, not to believe in it, and they're doing a lot of good work. May that change in a couple of months? Sure. And I know that many of you on the show, whether it's through Discord or, or uh, comments I've seen made on other guests at Rogue, have expressed your frustration, even, even when it comes to just finding our show. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's the world we're in right now, where, where I, I know it's a pain, 
I totally acknowledge that. Even even if I've worked uh, in IT among other things over the years, it's a little easier for me to keep track of these things. But but yeah, and that's that's why we keep expressing on the show. You've you've got to go to the Rogue News website. You if any of our content is removed from YouTube or we leave YouTube or what have you. And yes, the show's on Twitch, and the show I think is still on D Live. But in the final analysis, CJ's been doing a great job moving content uh, over to the Rogue News website. The website will continue to evolve, obviously. But, you know, our content is there and make sure those, you know, who who uh, have have listened to our show and so on know how to find us. Because candidly, for the last three three months or so, while we were over on the Rogue Media TV site, um, you know, we were bummed out that that the hundred and three hundred and two thousand of you that are subscribers that we didn't want to lose you. So that's that's it for me. And in the remaining time here before we go to the next next program, V and CJ, final thoughts or additional thoughts? Yeah, I want to touch base on the uh, directed energy attack weapon that was utilized. Oh, that's in, a good uh, one. <laughs> yep. I don't know if uh, people realize this or not, but uh, there was a, a directed energy device that was used. Initially, first we got reports of this at the U.S. Embassy in Cuba, where a lot of uh, U.S. officials have suffered irreversible brain damage which I only hope can spread to the entirety of Congress that they, too, have irreversible brain damage. I mean, because they're already brain damaged as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we just need to um, go the full route and make sure that's permanently damaged and irreversible. But anyway, fellas, you want to comment on that, on this on this anomaly um, and then try to let, let's kind of spitball what our best guess is. Go for it. Yeah, I, uh, I actually worked with somebody at Homeland Security that was the point of contact. Um, of several people that were part of the reopening of relations between the United States and Cuba and the reestablishment of our embassy uh, there. And one of the things that they shared was, is that there was a big dish sitting on one of the other embassies that for years was referred to as the ear. Um, When these symptoms started coming down, my gut, I don't think this is Russia. Um, I I know they've been, they've been identified as being the offending party, but, but, and, you know, maybe, maybe not on China. I don't know. However, the challenge here is, is that number one, the, the government almost kind of discounted our own state department people and others as, well, we can't really prove the, the, uh, the symptoms you're having, uh, are related to the same thing. It almost felt like us soldiers talking about agent orange with, with, uh, Dow chemical and others going, we don't know what you're talking about. Um, now all of a sudden, and I hate to say this, it's like we, we get a different party in the white house and suddenly now it's back on the front burner and geez, we're very concerned about it. However, the the thing that made me kind of laughingly look at this this week, and I'm just being a bit sarcastic is directed energy. But my first thought was, well, from the van across the street or from satellites, where is the directed energy coming from? Exactly. Um, you know, and how many people do we have a group of 10 or 20 people in one building that are suddenly impacted? Because that would say to me that you've got something in the air. If you've got a handful of people uh, in a particular room or whatever, that might be something set up across the street. The other thing, too, is there is so much monitoring equipment in Washington, D.C. I mean, I, I could take all of you and our lovely audience and walk you around uh, the Tyson's Corner area or some other parts of D.C. and show you um, not just just the stuff the NSA has. That's <laughs> functioning, um, which then begs the question, you know, how is somebody using a, let's call it what it is, a weapon like that near the White House and there's no detection, which either means there was, but they're trying to figure out who it was or honest to God, somebody pulled this off and we just didn't, we just didn't catch it. 
the, or B, the, they did it to themselves as some sort of a, a, right. a, a narrative building pretext for something bigger. Exactly. So the, it's we got to keep an eye on it because now this is happening on the soil of the United States. This isn't just uh, our ambassadors in foreign countries who've had this happen. And the, the the one of the bigger takeaways, V, is exactly what you said. The problem with these attacks is once you've been affected by these um, radio waves, um, you don't recover. You you don't. Yeah. So it's like you're hearing the migraines. I mean, it's like I'm I'm sorry. You're going to be living with that crap for the rest of your life. There's there's nothing we can do. So we got to monitor this and see if we have more of this occurring on the soil of the United States. Um, we've got to monitor and see if there's a sudden increase in U.S. facilities worldwide, which obviously would be hard to tell because they're not necessarily going to share that publicly. So we're going to have to you know. Check check the Alt News and the Daily Inquirer uh, at the grocery store to see whether or not there's rumors of of this activity happening. But yeah, the minute I saw it was happening near the White House, I I about dropped my coffee cup because I'm like, wait a minute, that's not Libya and that's not Cuba. That's that's here, and how many people and in what context and does it keep happening, et cetera, et cetera. CJ and V. Yeah, uh, Velas, I think, you know, uh, great content today. You know, you touch base on a lot of a lot of important uh, topics. One, you know, one thing that I would, uh, you know, expand on a little bit and just in regards to what you stated about exceptional stand in, in regards to the United States. And 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 I mean this, you know, wholeheartedly in regards to to my stance of what I refer to as as uh, as America. And that is, you know, it's people, it's. It's freedom, it's liberty, the 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 essential uh, fabric of our country and what it was built for. But uh, and I still believe in that. I, I always I always will. It's in my DNA. It's it you know it, it's there. But one thing that I've completely lost any faith or or trust on is the federal government. And I think through our conversations that we have to you know you know when we speak bad about some of the things that are happening and and you know we we either praise uh, China or Russia or stuff like that. It has nothing to do with the American people. It has everything to do with our, our federal government. And I think you really have to start disconnecting those two. Uh, for me personally, uh, not speaking for any other commentators, any people on Rogue, uh, I have given up all types of any type of, 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 of faith or hope in, in federal elections uh, as it relates to anything. Um, you know, uh, Trump 2016 was my last hurrah uh, for supporting Federal elections. Uh, I think at the core, I'm an anarchist. I, I believe in self-rule. I believe in uh, very limited, of any type of of, of government, uh, but understanding how important that is more at the the local election. And, and so, so therefore, I I in my commentary, I'm I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time focusing anymore on the federal uh, election because I think it's just a it's a huge disguise. I, you know, look Where's at look, faith, look at the man? look at the you four know, years of Trump and what what he accomplished. It was very little to to nothing. It was a, a huge charade. And now that same illusion of choice is gonna uh, propagate itself once again as we head into the next election. Like it's already being built, you know, Trump versus Biden. And I think it's just an all illusion to really to uh, disguise to really um Blind swipe us into believe that voting is is it matters at the federal election and, and for for president it doesn't you look look what's look what's happening so that's just where I have arrived uh, but to each his own so if you <laughs> if you support that and you believe in the idea of that that there is a, a public a 
a solution to America under Republican or Democrat, more power to you. Uh, but that's just um, where, where, where I am. And I'm, I'm not going to pay it much attention because it's a distraction. It's a distraction to what's happening uh, economically, geopolitically. What we continue to talk about here is, at Rogue is that there's a monumental shift that's occurring in all of that and including the news networks that, that want to make it feel that we can support each team, whether left or right, that it's going to make a difference as far as who wins. It doesn't because at the end of the day, uh, the, the the middle class, the the working poor, continue to decline, and all of the power, all of the 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 uh, the, the monetary system supports the top one percent, and it's been that way the last several years, and it's not going to change under uh, federal uh, rule. It's just not going to. Yeah, two quick sound bites. One, if you want real and honest conflict, go watch MMA, folks. Um, <laughs> And then secondly, as I've shared, you know, back in 2008, 2009, when we had the economic, uh, well, <laughs> collapse, uh, I was working in Washington. And I can tell you from firsthand experience working with agency directors and, and uh, some of the think tanks and stuff that were there, um, you can't imagine, and that was 12 years ago, you can't imagine how terrified leaders in Washington were. Um, take the politics out of it. Take their self-identification of left or right out of it. As bureaucrats, they were terrified because A, they knew they've run out of ideas to solve a lot of the problems we face. They knew the public's awareness was growing and they were terrified of the unknown of what may happen with the public. Now, to veer away from anybody doing anything rash, shall we say, I agree with CJ and V completely. It's you got to start at the local level because eventually folks at the local level, that's going to filter up. It's going to affect governor's offices, and from there, it's going to affect D.C. But, you know, again, we are in a distance race here, folks. This is not a sprint. You know, unfortunately, and I'd love to live in that world. I'd love to go back to doing what I was doing before I was here on, on Rogue. Uh, you know, as I've shared many times, I felt the need to, to get in here and to talk to CJ and V, and they were kind enough to let me come on this program. Um, I'd, I'd love to have that savior <laughs> who's just going to fix it all. But uh, that's not going to happen. So we got to work at the local level. We got to take care of our families. We got to hold tight. We got to work on the alternative media to, to keep things informed. I find your lack of faith most disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump will run again. Come let, August. Let <laughs> me let me paraphrase Gus uh, Demos. Do you feel in charge? Do you Does feel in charge? Control? Yeah. Our, our plan. <laughs> <laughs> what about our plan? Tell me. You are, it is part of the plan. You're evil. I am necessary evil. Tell me, I love Bane. Dude, th uh, this country needs Bane right now. Uh, th that, that, you, need, you need to unleash Bane on DC. That's what needs to happen. He needs to go up to right, right up to like uh, Nancy Pelosi. Put his hand on Nancy Pelosi's neck and be like, uh, tell me, do you feel in charge? <laughs> well, uh, he'll have to talk to the mining industry first, but yeah. Absolutely. All righty. Exceptional stand must die in order for America to live. And that's the, the that's the crux of it, man. That's it. The hell with the federal stuff. So it's, it's, it's a bunch of do-nothing idiots who are, who are trying to figure how to somehow get out of a, 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 a crashing car. It's not, it's not going to work. They're thieves. Not gonna work. They're, they're the looters, thieves. man. They're the real looters. <laughs> looters. 
Well, with anyway. that, let's uh, let's let Harley do his thing. And uh, thanks to all of you for joining our show today. And uh, take care, everybody. Join us or die. All right. With that being said, we're over and out. Take it away, CJ. Be right there, folks. Don't go anywhere. Harley Schlanger is next. <laughs>